Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there again and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and um, today I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about uh, pacifism in British politics uh, throughout the 1930s in the run-up to the Second World War. Now this is distinct from the policy of uh, of appeasement. Um, Pacifism was an outright rejection of war and militarism uh, under any circumstances, whereas uh, appeasement was a, um, a more tactical policy, and Neville Chamberlain certainly didn't rule out war. Uh, and in fact, uh, as David Reynolds in his book The Long Shadow points out, um, it was Neville Chamberlain who um, said that ultimately it was highly likely that Hitler would have to be dealt with uh, through force of arms uh, in the end. Well, tonight we're going to look at um, an excellent book that I've received from uh, Pen and Sword uh, Books, Opposition to the Second World War, uh, Conscience, Resistance and Service in Britain, 1933-45, to by uh, Dr John Broom. Um, so, without further ado, we're going to start off by looking at um, pacifism uh, in the Labour Party, during the uh, 1930s. The Labour Party uh, throughout the 1930s was the the most politically divided of all the major parties. Um, So let us have a look. So uh, John Broom writes, Whilst many mainstream politicians could at least give generalised support to the aims of the League of Nations Union without necessarily ascribing to all its stated positions, the issue of pacifism was one that caused deep bitterness and splits within the Labour Party. Keir Hardy, Ramsay MacDonald and other Labour leaders had been outspoken critics of the First World War and during the early 1930s Labour swung towards pacifism in response to the increasingly jingoistic tone coming from the packed House of Commons benches of the national government. The Labour Party had been reduced to 50 MPs at the 1931 general election as Ramsay MacDonald threw his energies into supporting the national government. This caused a split within the party, 
which had been since 1906 an amalgamation of the Labour Representation Committee and the Independent Labour Party. So all political parties, it can be said, are kind of coalitions. But the Labour Party, um, really since its inception, um, was a, a, a kind of like an armada of um, cent- left of centre and left wing uh, groups. Um, the Independent Labour Party, um, the Social Democratic Federation um, under Henry Hindman, and um, the, uh, the Labour Representation Committee, which was far more the um, creature of the uh, the creation of the trade unions, and um, gradually stuck with um, increasingly more uh, bourgeois and uh, centre ground. Uh, politicians uh, and far fewer uh, working class representatives um, had a, an, an uneasy relationship um, throughout um, the, the first three decades of the party's life. Um, Labour's official position after 1930, after, um, in the aftermath of the 1931 election was the same as before it. The policy pursued by um, Henderson and Dalton in the Foreign Office during the Labour administration of 1929-31. to Officially, the Labour Party stood for multilateral disarmament by negotiated agreement and security on the basis um, of the League of Nations covenant. Nevertheless, large sections of the Labour Party were opposed to the use of force under any circumstances. Non-pacifists and pacifists could cautiously agree on an official formula, even though it held out the possibility of the use of force, so long as the danger that force might actually be used remained remote. So the politics of all parties regarding uh, war and disarmament were fundamentally coloured by the creation of the League of Nations uh, after, uh, as a result of the Paris Peace Conference. Uh, Britain was one of the founding uh, creators of the League of Nations and with the um, absence of America in the League and the exclusion of Germany up until 1925 and the refusal of throughout the 1920s of the Soviet Union to participate, the League of Nations had basically Britain and France as the two main powers um, that were supporting it um, and from time to time, um, particularly over the Abyssinian crisis, undermining it. Um, and Britain had a, a kind of a, a special uh, and quite deep connection, both at a political and a, 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 a larger, a wider social level, with the League of Nations. Uh, the League of Nations organisation in Great Britain was immensely popular um, and its uh, activities towards um, pacifism uh, and disarmament were widely supported. The reason for this, of course, is that most British people had very long memories of the First World War and wanted to see no repetition of a conflict on that scale. And all British politicians were mindful of the fact that the next war would, uh, as George VI later put it in his fateful speech at the start of the Second World War, uh, war would not be contained to the battlefield. Uh, war would be uh, would involve 
uh, aerial bombing uh, and would uh, devastate cities. And there would be the possibility, many politicians feared, of poison gas dropped on British cities. So uh, Labour divisions over the possibility of war were um, contained within a classic political fudge. Um, what politicians love to do of kind of kicking the can down the road. One part of the party saying no war under any circumstances. The other party, uh, other side of the party saying, well, work towards disarmament. And yet, if we can't achieve that, and the situation calls for it, then we would have to uh, defend ourselves, uh, arm the country sufficiently, and potentially go to war with, say, Germany. And um, the the way, as it says, of um, managing to dodge the question is to say, well, we will say um, no war uh, on our policies of peace. Um, however, um, the possibility of us being presented with a situation uh, where we're going to have to make tough decisions like that seems inconceivable. And in the mid-1920s, with events like the signing of the Locarno Pact uh, and the gradual stabilisation of Europe... Um, it did seem more and more likely that these are tough decisions that would never have to be made. And of course, 1929, the Wall Street crash changes all of that, and the 1930s are subsequently a decade of turbulence. Um, the questions of uh, Italy's role in Abyssinia, is Italy's invasion of Abyssinia, the Spanish Civil War, the remilitarization of the Rhineland, and uh, Japan's invasion of Manchuria, and later its uh, invasion of uh, China in uh, 1937, all uh, tear this um, cosy understanding within the Labour Party apart, because now both sides actually really have to make uh, real-time decisions about what the party's policy actually is. So John Broom writes... With events in Europe and elsewhere, however, this fragile unity quickly collapsed. The threat of military sanctions by member nations against an aggressor laid down in the League Charter suddenly acquired a new importance, dividing those who supported it from those who did not. In response to the Japanese invasion of Manchuria in 1931, some in the Labour Party had urged an economic boycott of Japan. However, purist pacifists in the party believed that this would lead to war, with Japan bombing Chinese ports and the British colony of Hong Kong in retaliation. The proposal from Dr Alfred Salter, MP, a committed Quaker and pacifist, was to offer opportunities for the surplus Japanese population to emigrate to other countries. Uh, of course, um, Japanese colonial ambitions in China had inspired uh, much of uh, its uh, violent um, uh, onslaught uh, against China uh, and its violent seizure of territory. Though, of course, though the uh, motivations for seizing, uh, for waging war in China, um, are go slightly beyond this. Though that's a topic of a different podcast. So the fifty or so MPs uh, in the um, Labour Party, uh, those that um, have survived um, uh, the uh, election that sweeps the national government to power uh, in 1931, uh, and those that haven't thrown a lot in with the uh, national government, um, Ramsay MacDonald and Philip Snowden uh, are those who, who did, 
um, suddenly face a, a, a renewed threat to the party as uh, on over the subject of pacifism, um, the independent Labour Party members, those who had been in the ILP uh, originally, uh, voted to uh, disaffiliate themselves from the Labour Party. Uh, the ILP um, had five MPs in Parliament uh, and was affiliated to the Labour Party, though, of course, it was uh, never um, a, a, an actual, uh, never actually fully incorporated. Uh, the ILP was always the the kind of the, uh, the, the more authentically social democratic left-wing socialist party uh, in Parliament, uh, where the Labour Party was always content, perhaps to hug the centre ground that the Liberals, uh, after the First World War, had, had vacated. The um, ILP uh, Member of Parliament, uh, Dr Alfred Salter, um, was also good friends with George Lansbury, who was the, uh, the great uh, figure of the left in the Labour Party, uh, one of the party's true, authentically socialist leaders uh, throughout its, uh, its history. Uh, George Lansbury, um, during a speech um, whilst campaigning in the Fulham East by-election of 1933, which was an, a, a by-election fought exclusively on the question of, of rearmament, uh, made his, uh, clear his view uh, on militarism. He said, I would close every recruiting station disband the army and disarm the air force, I would abolish the whole dreadful equipment of war and say to the world, do your worst. This is not the kind of stuff that wins elections in Great Britain, unfortunately. The 1933 party conference, under the leadership of Lansbury, whose pacifism was based on long-standing Christian and socialist principles, unanimously adopted a resolution that declared to pledge itself to take no part in war. In addition... The National Executive, Executive Committee, um, which is the, uh, for those who, who are unfamiliar with the Labour Party, the National Executive Committee is the most powerful body in the Labour Party. Um, the Parliamentary Party and the TUC, the Trades Union Congress, were directed to take every possible step, including a general strike if necessary, to prevent the outbreak of war. This statement covered, um, writes uh, John Bloom, a multitude of attitudes. Um, with some seeming, seeing it as a long ter the long-term aspiration of what the World Socialist Commonwealth, while in the short term some forces might have be uh, some force might have to be used under the guise of collective security of the League of Nations. The same conference also unanimously approved a declaration by um, the MP Arthur Henderson in support of collective security. So this is something that is um, not unknown at Labour Party conferences, um, where the um, different wings of the party make different pronouncements. One is uh, committed to unilateral disarmament and pacifism, the other to the principle of pragmatic collective security. Um, and there was an inconsistency between these two motions. Leading figures such as Stafford Cripps, a committed Christian, who later becomes the uh, Chancellor and uh, one of the Ministers for Aircraft Production during um, the war in Churchill's government, declared the policy of collective security as being too close to the centre ground 
and being, uh, and he quote, I quote, nothing but the tool of the satiated imperial powers. Um, in the long term, it would prove impossible for the party to reconcile the strong views um, of those in favour of collective security and those who advocated absolute pacifism. So this is this is really interesting. The the international scene, the changing international scene, was pulling the British Labour Party into uh... even on a budget. Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Different directions. And Labour wouldn't be the only party to be um, divided on the question of war. Um, the Conservative Party, as we know, as people are far more familiar with, is divided between um, war and uh, appeasement, though the questions of appeasement only really emerge uh, later on in the, the later 1930s with uh, the advent of Chamberlain's shuttle diplomacy. Far too much is made of Winston Churchill as the the lone prophet in the wilderness, um, proclaiming um, the 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 evils of of Hitler. Uh, Winston Churchill, whilst not necessarily being a fascist sympathizer, um, looked upon uh, particularly fascist Italy as being relatively attractive throughout the 1920s and into the 1930s. So now what we'll do is, um, I, I don't really want to kind of dwell on the Conservatives because there's there's less sort of interesting stuff to be said there at the moment, though uh, it is it is worth our while delving back into that one in a separate podcast. I want to look now at the British Union of Fascists, a uh, small and peripheral a force in British politics, but one nonetheless that had a significant input into the debates around war and uh, pacifism. Though what its leader, Sir Oswald Mosley, was proposing was not so much pacifism uh, as when it comes to Nazi Germany, but collaboration in the regime's crimes. 
So, uh, John Bloom writes, Another political group that opposed the war, although for reasons that differed greatly from the Labour Party and the ILP, was the British Union of Fascists. They argued that a war with Germany was neither ideologically nor strategically necessary. Britain should, they argued, have sympathy with the Third Reich's anti-communist stance. In, on the 16th of July, 1939, um, addressing a meeting of 20,000 followers at Earl's Court, its leader, Oswald Mosley, warned, a million Britons shall never die in your Jews' quarrel. And here, uh, of course, Mosley was reciting a familiar anti-Semitic trope that really uh, what was happening, the mounting tensions in Europe, were simply uh, trickery and mischief caused by the Jews, pitting one side against another, um, and uh, you know the, the, the Jews who ran the Soviet Union and the Jews that ran the capitalist powers were, uh, in their own crafty ways, trying to uh, annihilate um, Aryan Germany and Christian Europe and, and all this sort of uh, anti-Semitic um, hatred and, and, and lies, basically. Um, and the um, one of the things that Mosey liked to talk about was how, um, really, um, the, the wealth of England had been, or Britain had been, stripped away uh, by the Wall Street crash, which was obviously, of course, the fault of Jewish bankers in, in his um, uh, prejudiced and, and uh, conspiratorial view. Um, when war was declared, Mosley issued a message to the British Union of Fascists, urging them to do what they thought was their duty to their country. To our members, my message is plain and clear. Our country is involved in war. Therefore, I ask you to do nothing to injure our country or to help any other power. Our members should do what the law requires of them, and if they are members of any of the forces or services of the Crown, they should obey their orders, and in particular, obey the rules of their service. We have said a hundred times that if the life of Britain were threatened, we would fight again. Now, Mosley knew that the war presented his movement with um, a, a kind of... an insurmountable challenge the uh, fascists within the British Union of Fascists that were more nationally inclined who saw uh, their um, hate filled fascism as really the defence of flag and nation and empire uh, were more inclined to uh, want war with Germany or to at least support the nation during the war with Germany Whereas those who saw themselves as being part of, and this was the minority of um, Mosley and people like uh, Lord Hawhorn, William Joyce, saw themselves as really the kind of the, the vanguard of a fascist international. That fascists from Britain and Germany and Italy and other countries um, were in, in unison uh, in a war against uh, communism and the Jews. Um, they were the ones who believed that resistance against Nazi against the war, and a an accommodation with Nazism, where perhaps Mosley was made prime minister and Edward VIII was restored to the throne, um, that this would be um, uh, the, the the best solution, uh, up until uh, the possibility of um, German troops being landed on British soil. 
Mosley continued to campaign for a negotiated peace, opposing the war on the grounds that no British interest was served by intervening in Germany's quarrel with Poland. Um, a famous communist journalist, uh, Claude Cockburn, wrote a, a pamphlet called The Cliveden Set. Um, he wrote it for the, uh, the, work, the, the Daily Worker newspaper, um, and in it he said that there were a number of members, uh, a number of um, uh, members of the upper class, um, uh, including the editor of the Times, Geoffrey Dawson, um, the um, uh, Lord Waldorf and Lady Nancy Astor, uh, and uh, other members of, of the elites who were meeting at Cliveden House in uh, what it was now Berkshire. Um, and they were meeting there, Buckinghamshire actually, I think it is, I do beg your pardon. Um, uh, they were meeting there to discuss how best to um, force the government to come to a compromise with Nazi Germany. And indeed this is true, they, they were meeting at Clifton House, uh, the Clifton set. Uh, by about 1939, many of these meetings have come to an end and they've accepted the inevitability of war and the desirability of supporting the nation through the war. But their view was that the war would serve the British no, uh, do, no, do them no good, and it would play, place, a, um, place a, a grave strain on the empire. And the empire was where many of these members of the gentry and the upper classes, their wealth in terms of, of, of investment portfolios, uh, came from. By 1940, the BUF, the British Union of Fascists, had declined in significance uh, with a membership of around 9,000, and it was easily suppressed by the government with around 800 fascists imprisoned under the Defence Regulation 18B. Mosley was interned in Brixton Prison in May 1940, and his wife Diana locked up in Holloway weeks later, in a dirty cell, uh, this is from her diaries, uh, with the floor swimming with water and only a thin mattress on a dirty wet floor. One rank-and-file BUF member, John Charmley, argued that such treatment ran contrary to the British tradition of tolerating dissent against wars. This was the first time that opponents had been arrested and imprisoned. Friends of the couple had been, uh, began a campaign for their freedom lobbying Churchill, although various society figures, Lord Halifax, the, uh, along with various society figures, Lord Halifax, the former Foreign Secretary, um, sought their release. I think about Mosley was he was no street thug. He was um, a, a member of the establishment. He was um, a, a well, uh, for the most part, until he founded the BUF, a, a well respected uh, member of uh, the elite, uh, the, 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 the elite social classes. Um, Mosley's case came in front of Herbert Morrison, who was at that time the Home Secretary. Um, uh, the Labour Home Secretary in the, the uh, wartime coalition government um, and Mosley was transferred to Holloway with his, uh, his wife um, where they were both allowed to live in a separate wing of the prison uh, with female servants and receiving food parcels from their friends um, he was released in 1943 on medical grounds and spent the rest of the war under house arrest uh, at a farm in Oxfordshire the issue um, of locking up BUF members was taken up in Parliament in November 1940 by the ILP, the Independent Labour Party, the uh, left polar opposite of the BUF. Um, MP John McGovern asked Herbert Morrison, is the Home Secretary aware that a considerable number of these people who may have been attracted by the attractive programme of this party are not really fascists in intention? 
and cannot um, he speed up the consideration of their applications for a hearing, as some of them have pleaded for months for a hearing, and some young women especially, who I do not believe have any evil intentions towards the state, are lying in prison. So it's interesting that by in, by the time the war is in full swing and questions of um, whether or not the war should be fought have become completely redundant um, and the weakness of the BUF is really there for all to see, having been so easily suppressed at the start of the war. And the popularity of fascism uh, following waves of fascist bombs dropping on Britain uh, has uh, really, really declined. It's interesting that the the, the kind of politics uh, that that emerge uh, as a result and the um, uh, the willingness of uh, an ILP MP to speak out in the interests of those who who are in, imprisoned and clearly in his eyes are of no great threat whatsoever. Winston Churchill, as a, a kind of a side note, throughout the war was not um, was not convinced that uh, anti-Semitism wouldn't be an issue in Great Britain. Tony Judd and Timothy Snyder, in their uh, brilliant book uh, Thinking the 20th Century, which is uh, interviews by Timothy Snyder uh, with Tony Judd, looked at the question of why the camps, uh, the death camps, Auschwitz-Birkenau, places such as that, were not bombed by Allied bombers during the war. And the conclusion that Judd comes to, uh, and Timothy Snyder, is that both um, Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill were well aware of the horrors of the camps, but they were also well aware of um, existing anti-Semitism in Great Britain and in America. And they knew that any attempt to divert the energies of the Royal Air Force or the US Air Force or any other branch of the uh, Allied armies in defence of Jewish interests during the war would arouse the antipathy of anti-Semites and anti-Semitic politicians and organisers in Great Britain, in America, to make uh, ample trouble with at key uh, moments during the war. And so whilst neither politician was indifferent to the vote of the Jews, both of them were aware that there were still anti-Semites in their countries um, who could present the Second World War as a war fought in the interests of the Jews and distort things in that way. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And um, as you noticed, I'm putting out uh, more podcasts at the moment because... It, it really is during this this difficult time when everyone's in in lockdown um the the very least that I can try to do um to keep people um engaged and interested in something um and to help uh, relieve our, our collective sanity um until the situation improves so I hope wherever you are you you're taking care and you're safe and you're um, looking after yourself. Uh, And I'll continue to create as much content as possible uh, to see through this this, uh, strange time. Take good care, everybody. All the best. Bye-bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.